On June 5, 1944, the Allied forces were preparing for one of the most famous battles in the Second World War, the invasion of Normandy, the D-Day landings on the beaches the next day. And as they were getting ready, they were visited by a very special guest, General Dwight D. Eisenhower. Eisenhower would go from different camps to spend time with his men, to be with them, offering words of encouragement before they would go onto the beach or make the jump from the planes. And the last encounter he had was with the 101st Airborne Division, again, the, one, the men who would jump out of the planes over enemy fire. And as he was encountering them and he was getting ready to leave, one of the paratroopers from that company said to him, don't worry, General, we'll take care of this for you. Don't worry, General, we'll take care of this for you. And according to the biography, as Eisenhower was walking back to his car, he had tears in his eyes. Unlike some generals, his men were not numbers to him, statistics. They were his boys, his sons. You know, it's funny, the more I, I learn about him, to quote his 1952 campaign, the more I like Ike. He was a man of great tenacity, humility, very pleasant to be around. Actually, in my family, we had a dog named Ike after him, but unlike the real Ike, he was a mean dog. We got rid of him a <laughs> long time ago. He's the reason why the Allies got along so well. He had to pull everyone together when you had to deal with these big personalities like Patton, Bradley, MacArthur, Montgomery, Churchill. He was the one that pulled everyone together. His men found a hidden treasure. They had a commander who was a follower to them. And he, in turn, found men who would die for him. And America and the world found a pearl of great price when he was made the supreme allied commander in World War II. And being so humble, after, after the war had ended, he could have done anything. He was popular, he was influential. People really wanted him to run for president in 1948. But he kept, he kept it off. And when he did eventually run and win the presidency in 1952, he only did it for one reason, duty, not personal profit, duty. Well, like Ike, King Solomon could have easily pursued money and power. His father, King David, left a lot for him, this small but powerful empire in the ancient Near East, an abundance of wealth. You're the son of the famous King David. And not only that, God himself, sort of like a genie here, is saying, ask me for anything. I'll give it to you. Anything you want. What would any of us ask for if God said the same thing? Would it be money? Would it be wealth? Would it be power of some sort? Would it be our health? Solve all the problems of the world. Give the deacon a better homily. No, what does the wise King Solomon say as a young man? He says, Adonai, Natan, Ebed, Lev, Shama. Natan, Ebed, Lev, Shama. Give your servant an understanding heart. Lev Shama. That would have meant something to the Hebrews. Lev Shama. The heart 
is the core of the entire human person, not just the warm fuzzies. Shama, understanding, here has to do with discernment, listening, hearing intelligibly. So basically what Solomon is saying is, as king, not my will, but thy will be done. Help me see as you see, Lord. You know, like father, like son, David was the man after God's own heart. And King Solomon, he wasn't perfect, but he was a wise king, he was a man of peace, and he was the one who would build the temple, the temple of the Lord. David wanted to do it, but God said, there's too much blood on your hands. You're a man of war. A man of peace will build my temple, but he will be your son. And this is the ancestor to our Lord. What is our pearl of great price? I mean, Solomon found it, following the Lord's will, being right there with him. What do we value? Are we pursuing things, like Jordan Peterson says, that are meaningful or expedient, basically out of convenience? Are we asking for Lev Shama? Give me a heart, Lord, that understands your will. Help me to see as you see. Help me to see myself as you see me. You know? Asking for that understanding heart to pursue the loving Abba, the Father of Jesus Christ, and the virtuous friend of Aristotle, as I had mentioned a few weeks ago. It's funny, a friend of mine in the seminary, he told me before, before he was in the seminary, when he was in a darker period of his life, he, for him the great price, the great pro great price was, you know, if I just get that job, or if I just get that graduate level degree, that's my ticket to the high life. God was kind of off to the side. Now he has three degrees, and he's told me he forgets that he has those. Shows how important those things were to him. Not bad things in of themselves, and they'll help him as resources to be a better priest, a man of education, but he, he's got it right now. Instead of egocentric, he's theocentric. God is at the center of it all. So what is our pearl of great price? Well, in the gospel, it's very obvious. Ultimately, it's him. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's where we're going. But we don't, we don't always see that, and that's why it's good to have Lev Shema, to ask for that understanding heart. Lord, help me, show me where I'm going. Be with me. And as we accompany him, it's very anthropological. We become better versions of ourselves. We become the best versions of ourselves because we're following him. We're seeking to understand his love and his will. A few days ago, I was having dinner at a friend's house, and in one of, their, uh, one of the rooms of their house, they had this quote from C.S. Lewis. Uh, it, it very much struck me. He says, I would rather be what God chose to make me than the most glorious creature that I could think of. For to have been born in God's thought and then made by God is the most precious thing of all thinking. That is our pearl of great price. The first cause, the first principle, the loving Father, the Almighty God who made all of us. He was thinking of us when he was creating everything. That's how far back it goes. He is the pearl of great price that we should constantly be seeking. Now, is God in the kingdom of heaven the only pearl of great price? Yes and no. Back on Wednesday, I was having dinner with some of my brother seminarians, and it was a great time to just be together, uh, a few of us, and 
you know, amidst the jokes and, and the laughter and catching up, um, this homily, this, this gospel passage came up and I was the only deacon of the, at the table, so I was saying, you know, oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm planning this homily and hopefully it goes okay. I'm trying to put things together and, you know, yeah, I'll talk about God as, as the pearl of great price, you know, blah, 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 blah. And one of my brother seminarians uh, brought up a, a very interesting perspective on this, this gospel that I had never really thought of. His, and you, you might remember him. His name is Jacob McDougall. He was here for a summer back in 2020. Uh, he, he studies at uh, Bishop White uh, College Seminary, so please pray for him. And it was kind of one of those moments in, in this, this interaction where I thought of another rule from Jordan Peterson. Assume the person you're listening to knows something you don't. You know, I'm his big brother in terms of formation. I'm at the higher level. But that doesn't mean I'm smarter than him or better than him or I can't learn anything from my younger brother. It was a great moment. And he's a good man. But he brought up this thought with the gospel. Maybe we could think of the pearl of great price, the buried treasure being you and I. We are the treasure. We are the pearl. The one that God seeks out. Now, I get it. I'm not exactly a pearl of great price. You know, there are guys in seminary who came with me who discerned out and left, and they would make much better priests than I will. But that's the thing, isn't it? We are buried. Buried under our, our insecurities, our fears, our sins, our temptations, anything the culture is throwing at us. We just feel so we're covered with dirt and we're, we're in a muck, and, and yet, you know, just buried by life. I'm sure everyone here can agree. There's moments where we just feel so overwhelmed and buried. How could a God like that ever want someone like me? You know, again, with the seminary, why does he get to go and why do you want me sticking around? Why? I'm nobody. But God is pursuing what's meaningful, not expedient. All of us. We mean everything to him. And we don't have to. Why would God care about any of us? Who are we? We are his children. Like Eisenhower, we mean so much to the Father. Like the soldiers with the general. We are called according to his purpose, though. We are part of his story. A very meaningful story. And did he buy us? Was there a cost? Oh, yeah. 30 pieces of silver and his only child. And the shovel he used to dig us up? The cross. An instrument of torture. He sold everything, gave up everything for all of us because we too are his pearl of great, pri great price. And let's ask for that Lev Shaman in the Eucharist today. Give me an understanding heart, Lord. Help me see. Help me see as you see and help me see myself as you see me. We are loved because we are his. I don't want anyone leaving this church today thinking, I am expedient. I'm a loser. I'm nothing. You know, take it from a guy who used to think that about himself. Doesn't feel good. And it's a lie. A lie from the enemy. 
And recently, I was, I was taking communion to a woman who's bedridden. She's uh, much older. And she was having that sort of thought, sort of an existential crisis. She was saying to me, I don't know why I'm still here. I contribute nothing to society. I am nothing. I'm just, I'm just a waste. It was very jarring to hear that. I should have been quiet. You know, sometimes that ministry of presence is more powerful than saying anything. But I just blurted out, that, that's not true. You're teaching me. And she said, I am? I said, yeah. You're teaching me how to be a priest. At the beginning of life and at the end. How to be a priest. No one here is expedient. No one here is a loser. No one here is meaningless or nothing. We're everything to him. He weeps for us. Just like how Eisenhower was weeping for his men because he knew the next day they would give their lives for our freedom. So in the Eucharist, come to your treasure. He is your treasure. But also, let Jesus look at you. Let him hold you up like he's looking at the pearl of great price. Let him hold your hearts up and say, I found you. You are my pearl of great price. You are more precious to me than any silver or gold. Mm-hmm.